8. It is marred by many imperfections, and that a great deal of it has to be thrown away as useless. Somehow, we are a little bit disappointed in the tree, for we thought it was perfect. As we turn to the rose, we are reminded by a sharp pain in our fingers as we examine it, that the stems are covered with ugly thorns, ugly thorns, and then we notice, too, that many of the leaves on the bush are deformed and unshapely. As we turn to a look upon the sun then we are dazzled by its brilliance, at first, and then we discover that even this brightness is clouded by spots which seem to make it imperfect. Then too, as we look away from it, we find that the Sunday in its passage through the sky not only brightens many a dark corner, but it casts many a deep, gloomy shadow as well. Draw the shadow of the tree. Completing figure 93. Well, now, wouldn't it be foolish for us to go about finding flaws in God's creatures, like this? Ah, yes, but it is just this way that some of us study our own lives, just because we don't find perfection there. We are disheartened and discouraged, forgetting that God's word is the authority for the assertion, that there is not a righteous man upon earth, that doeth good, and sinneth not, but we must not forget that other assertion which is equally true, namely, that they are blessed who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and nothing short of this desire for godliness is pleasing to the Father, we have before us the inspiring, the ennobling example of the Pilgrim Fathers, who, denied the right to worship God after their own manner in their home across the seas, made the perilous journey to the new world to establish here the beginning of a mighty church and a mighty pattern for all who were to come after them. They were men and women who hungered and thirsted after righteousness. But were they perfect? No. It would be impossible to find, in the world's history a life in which some imperfection did not work. Should the discovery of faults and imperfections in ourselves or in others discourage us from trying to follow in the footsteps of the perfect one? Surely not. We should see in the shortcomings of others an inspiration to live our own lives more closely to the measure which we know to be right and true. The knowledge of our own faults and imperfections should make us more sympathetic, more helpful to others and induce a spirit of comradeship with those who need a strengthening band on the pathway of life. We know, too where to take these faults and imperfections of ours. How often has he answered the prayer, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, to become wearied, to lie idle and despair because we have not attained to the ideal is to commit a grievous error. Get busy, in true work for him is the surest cure for the trouble. Faulty? Yes. But let us not forget the truth in Dr. Van Dyke's words, the best rosebush, after all is not that which has the fewest thorns but that which has the finest roses. Let us not lose heart because of our shortcomings, but give thanks that we may attain to the highest if we but do his will. Bring forth fruit children's day fruitfulness a children's day thought for the entire school the live branch. The lesson that as the fruit tree fulfills its mission only when surrounded by proper conditions. So, also, must the child be provided with the conditions which will help him to bring forth fruit in the Christian life. The illustration here given possesses the unusual qualities of entertainment for the very littlest children of the school, of enlightenment for the juniors and intermediates and of personal appeal to the seniors and adults especially those visitors who may be attracted on the occasion of Children's Day. The use of the colored chalk makes the picture especially attractive. The talk. Before beginning the talk. Draw the bare lemon brown. What is this? A dead branch. Did you say? Perhaps. Perhaps not. We are supposed to be looking at it in the winter time, and, of course, it isn't real easy at first to tell whether it is dead or merely sleeping, 
but if we examine it closely we can tell, because the leaf buds are formed in the autumn, and if the limb is alive we shall find the little leaf buds there, examine the branch, yes, the branch is alive, for the little leaf buds are clustered everywhere, waiting to burst forth into full-grown leaves, as you speak, touch the limb here and there with green and then draw the clusters of full-grown leaves, and here, too, I find some little pink buds, and a little later they open into pretty flowers, for this is the limb of an apple tree, add the flowers, completing figure 94, and then, as time goes on, we witness another interesting change, because God intends that the tree shall do more than bear leaves and flowers, we find that the pretty pink flowers which have filled the air with their fragrance and gladdened our eyes with their beauty have gone away, and in their places have come little green apples, with green chalk draw the green apples just large enough to cover the blossoms, green apples are good things to leave alone, so we will not pick them, we will watch and see them change into something else, with red chalk draw the large ripe apples, covering up the green surface, this completes figure 95, if the green doesn't disappear entirely, it doesn't matter, it is well, however, in drawing the green apples, to use as little of the color as possible, and now we have the ripened fruit of the apple tree, this part of the story is for the little boys and girls, but we must say a word also to the boys and girls of the junior and intermediate classes, it is this, that the branch of the apple tree, in bringing forth in its time the leaf buds, the leaves, the blossoms, the green apples and the ripened fruit, has done nothing excepting that which God planned that it should do, he asks of it no more and no less, that is its duty, the lesson for us is this, he expects us to do our full duty, just as the branch of the apple tree has done, he asks that we bring forth the fruits of service, of sacrifice, of cheerfulness, of kindness, of love and of humility, he has surrounded us with the things which make it easy to do this, let us find out the best way for us to do it and enjoy real living as we bring forth fruit for him, and I would also add a word to the seniors and the adults of our school, as well as to the visitors of the day, we all know that the branch cannot bring forth its fruit unless it be a part of the tree, Christ has said, I am the vine, and unless we get the children, attached to this true vine, their lives cannot bear Christian fruit, he is our support and our life. Just as the branch must have the sunlight and the warmth for its development, so must each one of these children have his love and our love and our help to live Christian lives. It was the Master who said, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bring forth much fruit in helping these little ones we are ourselves bringing forth fruit. I believe that in this service, side by side with these children in the Sunday school, we shall find our Christian experiences enlarged and blessed. Let us pray. Then that each of these precious lives may be like a tree planted by the streams of water, that bringeth forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf doth not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Young men, ahoy, temperance day dissipation John B. Goff's thrilling word picture a remarkable temperance lesson, the lesson that we dare not trifle with the devil's poison. The world has known no greater foe to intemperance than John B. Goff. No words of this great leader have left a more lasting impression than those which he used in his striking picture of the young men drifting in a boat on the Niagara River. Happily, it adapts itself to the requirements of a chalk talk. The talk. The great temperance leader, John B. Goff, devoted the best years of his life to an earnest endeavor to save boys from the evil of strong drink, of which he knew so much through long, bitter experience, familiar to all of us, perhaps is the thrilling word picture of the young men who launched their rowboat upon the quiet, 
smooth waters of the broad Niagara River a few miles above the mighty cataract, draw the boat and the young men, completing figure 96, it might be well to prepare this first scene in advance, now, says Mr. Goff, as he enters into the narrative, launch your bark upon the Niagara River, it is bright and smooth and still, there is a ripple at the bow, the silvery wake you leave behind you adds to your enjoyment, down the stream you glide, you have your oars, and you think you are prepared for every emergency and thus you go on your pleasure excursion, thinking not of dangers ahead, someone cries from the bank, hark, young men, ahoy, what is it, you ask, the rapids are below you, ha, ha, we had heard of the rapids below us, you laugh, but we are not such fools as to get into them, when we find we are going too fast, we will pull for the shore, young men, ahoy, what is it? The rapids are below you. Ha, ha, we will laugh and quaff, all things delight us, what care we for the future? No man ever saw it. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We will enjoy life while we may, and catch pleasure as it flies. This is the time for enjoyment. It is time enough to steer out of danger when we find we are going too swiftly with the stream. Young men, ahoy, what is it? The rapids are below you. Now see the water foaming all around you. See how fast you go. Quick, quick, pull for your very lives. Pull till the blood starts from your nostrils and the veins stand like whipcords on your brow. At this point, quickly detach the drawing from the board. Turn it one-fourth around and reattach with some tacks. Then, add the lines to complete figure 97. Ah, it is too late. Shrieking, cursing, blaspheming, over the falls you go and thousands thus go over every year by the power of evil habits, declaring, when I find it is hurting me, I will quit, but these latter do not go by the waterway, but by the whiskey way, which is a thousand times worse, no man today fills a drunkard's grave who did not once think he could quit but he found, too late, that he couldn't, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise, says Solomon, and he might have made it ten times as strong and still kept within the truth, everywhere, and at all times, when a young man starts to do evil, he hears plainly and clearly the cry, young man, ahoy, the rapids are below you, it is the voice of conscience, his true and faithful servant, but, unfortunately, as the voice is unheeded and bad habits grow stronger, conscience grows weaker, and, after a while, it cannot serve us at all, for Satan has taken possession of it, the evil one can do as much mischief with a man's conscience as he can with his heart, he can sear it with a hot iron, bite him, 4, 2, he can defile it, Titus 1, 15, he can kill it, if, 4, 17, 19, and how can a seared, defiled, dead conscience help him to shun temptation and sin, many a man, honest in his dealings with those about him, is dishonest with himself when he begins to allow bad habits to rule his life and to allow Satan to defile and kill the conscience which has been provided to guide him in caring for his own body the earthly temple given to him by God as the earthly abiding place of his immortal soul. Valueless things boys day ability they may not remain so if we give them proper attention a thought for boys day. The lesson that our seemingly useless, or even harmful, traits may prove to be our most valuable talents. This little fragment of industrial history should impress a lesson upon all young people, though it is especially adapted to boys' day. The talk, 
during the period extending from the time that people first settled in America up to the time of the Civil War those who chose to live in some portions of the area which are now the states of Pennsylvania, Ohio and West Virginia selected their land with great care. In some parts of the land they found a disagreeable kind of oil in the ground which oozed from the rocks below. When a man bought a piece of ground he was very careful to find out for sure that there was none of the soil about the place, and if he did find any of it, it is probable that he made this fact known, draw the signboard and the letters, figure 98, complete, to him the ground was worthless, it may be that some of the people knew that the soil was the same kind that the ancient Jews used in the preparation of their cement for building purposes, and that it was the same that the more ancient Egyptians used in the preservation of the mummified bodies of their dead, but, as the Americans did not need oil for such purposes, they considered the oil a nuisance, at one time, while a man was drilling for water, he struck such a strong artesian well of oil that it gushed out all over the ground, then it ran down to a river and caught fire as it spread out over the swiftly flowing water, the flames spread down the river and it looked for all the world as if the river was burning up, they called the soil petroleum rock oil. One day, in 1859, after there had been a good deal of talk as to whether or not the soil was good for anything, call, E.L. Drake hired some men to drill a well at Titusville, Pennsylvania. The drillers at first refused to work for a man who was so foolish as to spend his money in this way. But, finally, they set at work on the job under the belief that they were really drilling for salt. But the oil began to flow and some men soon learned how to make kerosene out of it. This took the place of tallow candles, and from that moment the world has been much brighter. The men kept right on with their experiments, until now we have not only kerosene, but gasoline, benzene, rigoline, naphtha, mineral sperm oil, lubricating oils, paraffins wax, carbon oil and a variety of medicinal products all made from this once useless petroleum. These discoveries have brought also the gasoline and oil stoves, gasoline and gas engines and the automobile. From the industry has grown the Standard Oil Company, one of the richest and most powerful commercial enterprises in the world. So now, in these eastern states, it is vastly different from what it used to be when a man discovered oil on his land. If he finds oil now, and if he puts up a sign at all, it is apt to read like this. Revise figure 98 to complete figure 99. From this little fact of industrial history I want to draw a lesson, especially for the boys. Today, perhaps we cannot own any stock in the Standard Oil Company, but we have something just as good, and better. Perhaps we have found in ourselves what we think is a useless talent useless unless we refine it and cultivate it. One day some people living on a certain street in New York raised a big row because a small, ragged street boy drew pictures all over their sidewalks with chalk. To them. He was nothing but a nuisance. However, a prominent man came walking by one day. He looked at the chalk drawings and knew at once that the boy had real artistic talent. He became interested, gave the boy an education and now he is one of America's celebrated painters. Study yourselves. Boys, do you love music? If you do, and if you have the talent to become a musician, don't throw away your talent by using your ability for any low purpose. Make music, like Haydn who praised God through every note. Do you like to draw? If you are to be an artist, do not use your talent for low purposes. Let your work be of a kind to reflect credit upon your work which will make other people better for having seen it and for having been influenced by it. Do you like to speak? Do you plan to study medicine, or law, or to be a teacher? 
whatever your plans may be, based on what you believe your best talent to be, do not let your talent go to a waste like the soil did for so many years, treasure it up, refine it, and in whatever direction God may lead you, you may be sure that you will have ample opportunity to let your talent bring greater brightness into the world, and then you, too, would not part with your possession for any price. The story of a politeness the common people of thought for the thoughtless who had but little politeness and respect for the common people. The lesson that everyone who truly fills his high or lowly place in the world is deserving of respect and honor. This story contains a splendid lesson for all of us. There is much in it to start the boys and girls to thinking of the worthiness of doing the humble things in life, and of the respect due those whose place may be more lowly than theirs. True worth is the measure of our value in the world, whether our work be great or little. The talk. This morning I am going to tell you the story of the hep. And this is the hep. Draw only the hep. A completing figure 100. This is the same drawing as that of the lower right hand corner of figure 101. Before the face is added. I don't wonder that you smile. It's a seedy looking old hep. Isn't it? It looks as if it ought to be burned up or else dumped in the ash barrel. But. Before we do that. Let us hear the story. Once upon a time Mr. Brown, a college president, was passing a clothing store when he saw, displayed in the window, a hat like this. Draw only the hat as in me Mr. Brown went into the store and tried on the hat. It fitted him. And when he came out he looked like this in his new $4 hat. At the head of Mr. Brown, completing the everybody respected the college president and was polite to him. After a while Mr. Brown's wife told him that his hat was getting just a little bit shabby perhaps just a little bit out of style, too. And so the college president gave the hat away to a poor but respectable preacher, Mr. Green. And this is the way Mr. Green looked in the hat. Draw C complete. Mr. Green was not ADD by any means, but he was a good man who was made to suit and fit a certain class of people who could not have understood the big words of ADD well. Mr. Green wore the hat for a while. And then he gave it to the janitor of his church, a man named Mr. Blue. The janitor wore it for a while, until it looked about like this, draw D complete. You will notice that it was somewhat indented by this time, but it was all right for Mr. Blue and he was glad to get it. There was a man in the town by the name of Mr. White, who had a job cleaning the streets. He was a friend of Mr. Blue, and the janitor gave him the hep. This is the way Mr. White looked in it, draw the face under the hep. This completes figure 101. Mr. White had a little cart and a big shovel and an old broom. And he worked all day sweeping up and carting off the old paper, the stubs of cigars and everything else which, if allowed to accumulate, would soon make the streets look disgraceful and the town unhealthful. And so, we see, this poor old hat had done good service for four different kinds of men. Remember this that every man who wore the hat was a full man in his place. Each one was a necessary man. We must have him. Especially is this true of the man who kept the streets clean. For he, just like the man who collects and takes away the garbage, helps to keep away the scourge of typhoid fever, and cholera and other dread diseases, by being willing to do the dirty work and to wear the old hat. Why, just suppose everybody was a college president, who would wash our clothes, who would scrub our floors, who would clean our streets, who would cart away our garbage. Now. Don't you see that the street cleaner and the garbage gentleman are far more full than any wealthy man's son who doesn't do a lick of work, who rides around in an automobile at his father's expense and who spends his time at night in wasteful or sinful ways so that he gets to bed at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and sleeps until 9 or 10 o'clock the next day. Why, 
Bless your soul, the street cleaner and the garbage gentleman are worth a dozen good for nothings like that. Then why look down upon the poor man the laboring man? Why not be just as polite and respectful to him as to the college president? God made them both, and each is filling his place in life. Each man whose picture we have drawn belonged to a different class of people, just as God designed they should, and each, if he did his duty in life, had just as important a place in the community as the other. Abraham Lincoln said that God must think more of the common people than he did of any other kind, because he made so many more of them. Surely, all this is reason enough for the best of us to be kind and considerate, respectful and polite toward people whose hats would not suit us at all. Our country's flag flag day patriotism a little of its history and of its meaning some interesting facts. The lesson that loyalty to the flag means the fulfillment of duty to God and to our fellow men. Flag day suggests a patriotic demonstration, and this talk will harmonize well with your decorations and the other features of your program. The talk calls for the drawing of four flags. It is suggested that you prepare in advance of the talk all four flags of figure 102. As the drawing may require more time than you can spare during the talk. The talk. We have about us today some of the flags of the United States of the present time. I believe you will be interested, though, in seeing some of the flags of our country of earlier days. I will present them to you. Before the Revolutionary War was begun, and at the time of the beginning of the trouble, some of the colonies had flags of their own, and some of them were very curious indeed. However, When General George Washington took command of the troops at the beginning of the war it was decided to adopt one flag for all the United Colonies, and so a committee was chosen and a flag like this was designed, indicate Flag Day. These two crosses represented the crosses of St. George and St. Andrew, and the 13 stripes represented the 13 colonies. You see, they patterned the crosses after the British flag, because there was no certainty at that time that the colonists would break away from England. This is the flag that was raised over the camp of Washington at Cambridge, January 2nd, 1776. But in 1777, after the colonies had proclaimed the Declaration of Independence, Congress ordered that the flag of the 13 United States be composed of 13 stripes, alternate red and white, and that 13 white stars in a field of blue be substituted for the crosses. It was also decided to add one star and one stripe as each new state was admitted. Congress then in session in Philadelphia, named George Washington, Robert Morris and Colonel Ross to call upon a widow who had been making flags for the government and asked her to make this first real American flag, and this is the flag that Betsy Ross made, indicate flag B, it is said that Betsy Ross suggested that the stars be five point, as she could fold her cloth so as to make a five point star with one clip of her scissors, can you make a five point star with one clip, Betsy could, note, The writer has seen the simple process described in a sketch of Betsy Ross, it is too long for repetition here, but a demonstration of the method would be an interesting innovation. Well, this flag was carried throughout the remainder of the revolution, and it was present at the surrender of Burwine and the fall of Yorktown, but when Vermont and Kentucky were admitted as states, the flag was changed, so there were 15 stars and 15 stripes, like this. Indicate flag, see, this flag waved throughout the War of 1812. It was this flag that Francis Skopke saw through the dawn's early light, and which inspired him to write the Star-Spangled Banner. It was not until 1818 that Congress saw that a mistake had been made and that it would be necessary to confine the number of stripes to the original number, 13. Though we have continued to add a star for each new state, this is the flag of today, 
Indicate flag, D, as we look upon this flag. Our hearts grow warm with love for our country. We honor it and the memory of those who brought it into being and who died to preserve it for us. I know of no better closing picture than this, which indicates the true spirit of the patriots who died beneath its folds upon the fields of battle a picture which speaks to us of him who said, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, with heavy black put in the outline of the cross, fill in with orange. Completing figure 103. Boys and girls, what does the flag stand for? Loyalty to country. What does the cross stand for? Loyalty to Christ. Which is the more important? You are not asked to answer only to think. Being loyal to Christ makes people truly loyal to country, but, alas, there are many who profane his name while they pretend to be loyal to their country. It cannot be done. The little ones cradle roll day teaching a word of appreciation to the parents on the occasion of cradle roll day. The lesson that the proper early home training of children for Christ will save future heartaches and anguish. It is well to make of cradle roll day an occasion of profit and inspiration to the parents of the little ones. Perhaps you don't get a chance to speak to them very often. Your words to them on this occasion, when a day has been set aside for the special consideration of the children in whom their hearts and hopes are centered will best serve their purpose if they are directed to make the parents feel sure that you, also, are deeply interested in their little ones. The talk. We are delighted today to see so many of our little cradle-rolled boys and girls and we are just as pleased to look into the faces of their fathers and mothers. Why? Well, just because we want these parents to know that we love their children and that we are grateful to them for coming with them today to observe this happy time together. We want these fathers and mothers to know that while we are trying to teach the way of unselfishness and love to these older boys and girls, and while we are waiting for the time to come when these little visitors of today will be old enough to be with us regularly, we are convinced that the home training for seven days in the week is higher and more lasting than an hour of teaching in the Sunday school under the best of teachers. So it is with joy that we know that these parents are beginning with the babyhood of their children to tell them of him who blessed the little ones and said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. We are glad we may look forward to the time when we, in the Sunday school, may also have a part in this training. Let us hear a little story this morning, once upon a time a young lad, while idly spending his time in a grove surrounding his eastern home, carved with his knife in the bark of a young birch tree three words which his mother had taught him to say. As you continue the narrative, draw the small tree and merely indicate the words and the heart next referred to. Completing figure 104. The first word had three letters. The second had two letters and the third four letters. And around them he drew a little heart. As his mother had taught him to do. And when he had finished it. He ran away to his play and forgot all about it. Years afterward. When he had grown to a young manhood. He returned to the home which he had not seen for a long time. As he went once more to the grove. He came upon a birch tree and stopped to look at some words carved upon its bark with a heart drawn about them. Memory carried him back to the days of his childhood it was the same tree, grown big and strong, and with it the heart had grown large and the words were there strong and plain. They could not be removed without greatly marring the tree. Here are the heart and the words, add lines to a revised figure 104 to figure 105. As he looked upon the words, they thrilled him with tender emotions as he remembered that it was his mother who had taught him this beautiful sentiment. If I had written there an unkind word, he reflected, that, too, would have been as permanent and lasting. And now for the application, we are told that some fathers and mothers, 
through a false idea of what is of lasting good to their children, permit them, in their inexperience, to learn to do things in a way which will mean sorrow and anguish in the end. Of course, I understand that this could not ever happen to any of these fathers and mothers and these children. The application is for those who aren't here. If the boy rebels against school, he will bless, in later years, the hand which made his attendance compulsory. If he can see no harm in the use of unkind or offensive words, but is compelled by a loving parent to turn his mind and his speech to lofty things, he will later bless that one who saved him from his error. If, in the years when he has grown through babyhood and childhood to youth, a strong, but gentle, hand bars for him the way which leads to evil companions and bad habits, he will praise and bless that restraining hand when the years of discretion show him how close was his step to the brink of a fatal precipice. With the same hand which bars the way to a wrong must the parent write the words, God is love, on the heart of each little one. The clear, pure truth cannot be told too often. In after years, as memory brings these children back to your loving arms, back to their little downy beds, they will be comforted with the realization that the words have become so deep-seated that nothing can eradicate them. Even after death has closed their eyelids, someone has described the eyes of a child as clear wells of undefilled thought. And God forbid that as their eyes are lifted to ours, full of innocence and confidence, we should give them anything but the purest, most helpful truth as Christ reveals it to us. We pledge ourselves earnestly to do this. The burn book Patience Adversity How Thomas Carlyle's work of many years was destroyed in a few seconds. The lesson that there is such a thing as success through patience, and that the Christian should so live that he may rejoice in his tribulations. One of the crying needs of everyday life is the cultivation of patience. Modern life, with its hustle and bustle, and the ever-present contest for supremacy in its commercial and social phases, displays a growing unrest and nervousness. Patience is a rare quality which should be treasured and nurtured. The talk. Paul once wrote a letter to the church at Rome in which he said, We jailer, 